Today we're going to be in Revelation 13. And when time allows us, we go into the Proverbs. I do what's called the Proverb of the Day. And we're going to be in Proverbs 6, starting with verse 6 through 11. Six verses. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. It says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come upon you like a robber and your need like an armed man. This starts off with sluggard, somebody who's lazy, somebody who's, you know, not motivated. Um, you know, laziness apparently in the Bible is, it's a sin of omission. We always think of the sins we can commit that are bad. But sometimes the things we fail to do are sins of omission. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. And if, you don't, if you've never studied the ant, you might miss this. A few months ago, my wife and I were captivated by a documentary on ants. So now I'm very well-versed in ants. You think, well, yeah, I left a crumb on the floor. He's, they're in the house. You just step on them or put out an ant trap. Or if you're really kind, you pick them up and throw them back outside. But ants, it's true. The Bible says they have no leader. They have no captain. As a matter of fact, if you study the ants, they work by scents, S-C-E-N-T. What they do is they go find food or they find what they're supposed to do. They find sugar. And what they do is they leave a scent trail for the other ants to follow that trail and to find this treasure that they found. And what's interesting about the ant is they all work together and none of them are lazy. It's perfect for the scripture. There are absolutely no lazy ants. Now, I've seen some lazy uncles. <laughs> Want to see if you're with me. But... It's, it's really a neat thing how God can use the simple things of his creation to teach us high and mighty, educated human beings lessons. Now, imagine if people were like the ants, if everybody pulled their weight, if everybody did their part, even if it's a small part. And imagine if the body of Christ, I mean the body of Christ in the world, each person in the body of Christ would use their spiritual gifts. What a difference and an impact it would have on the world. It's pretty impressive to look at. Now, the Bible says this, chronic laziness, chronic laziness is, and I have to be careful with this, is a cause of poverty. doesn't mean the cor there's no corollary that says that all poor people are lazy, but the Bible says that chronic laziness is a, one of many factors that causes poverty. The ants, they gather up during the harvest time, and they store up, so in the wintertime, they're not starving, and they're not out there. You know, they're, they're well taken care of. God didn't design us to be lazy. Those who lay around the house all day and watch TV for hours and hours and hours are really the most unhappy people. You show me a person who's pampered and taken care of all their lives, and I'll show you a very shallow person in desperate need of a trial. The corollary, the corollary to this is that if we're lazy with spiritual things, let's take this into the spiritual realm. If we're lazy with spiritual things, it'll show up in our walk and every facet of our lives. We won't be able to discern spiritual things. And we see that this character is evident in the lives of those left 
after the rapture, the great harpazu in the Greek, where the Lord calls his people home and the world is left with earth dwellers. Okay, so we're going to see that. The last time we talked about the first beast in Revelation or the Antichrist, and today in Revelation, starting with verse 11, we're going to cover what the Bible calls the second beast, starting with verse 11, chapter 13, verse 11. Then I, the disciple John, saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. This person, everybody knows of the Antichrist. Uh, There's been movies made about it, many movies, even secular movies, uh, but many forget that there's another beast in this chapter. And this person is the third person of the satanic trinity, the false prophet. He's part of the religious wing of the coming dictator, our future, this man who will have control over the world, who will dupe the world with a false peace and then take over with those who are left militarily. And he will have an element of his staff that's a false prophet, the false Holy Spirit, sort of like the Joseph Goebbels to Adolf Hitler. He was his propaganda minister. We've seen this in the past. This counterfeit Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus said in John 15, the Holy Spirit is coming, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit will testify of me. Jesus pointing to himself. Now, many people will do some bizarre things in the name of the Holy Spirit, but if they're not pointing you to Jesus, it may be a spirit, but it's certainly not the Holy Spirit. Now, in the same vein, this, this Antichrist, this, I'm sorry, this this false prophet, will testify to the Antichrist. You see, and if you've been with us for some time, this book is a book of counterfeits. Everything God does, Satan does a cheap imitation, a counterfeit. So we see that here also. It says, he came up out of the earth. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul speaks about the glory of the celestial versus the terrestrial. And he's speaking about bodies and the twinkling of eyes. In a twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. When the Lord calls us home, we won't have these breaking down bodies, decrepit, problematic issues. In a twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed to in a celestial state, and we'll be able to live immortal forever. But he also talks about the terrestrial, those that are uh, bound to the earth, the earth dwellers. In the book of Revelation, it speaks a lot about God's people, calling him up to heaven, calling them up to heaven. But the Bible also speaks in Revelation constantly. You'll see the word earth dweller, earth dweller, earth dweller. It's all about the earth. It's all about the here and now. It's the ephemeral. It's short-lived. So you see the difference between out of the earth and from heaven. He had two horns as of a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. I find it interesting to follow the etymology of words. The Greek word for horns is kerata, where we get the word keratin in English. Keratin is comprised of horns and nails and hair is comprised of keratin. Very interesting. But his pretense, this man's pretense, is of good, like a lamb, Christ-likeness. But he spoke like a dragon. He was evil through and through. And, you know, there's a deception today, unfortunately, and as time goes on, Jesus prophesied this. As time goes on, the deception will get even worse. But they do good works, this organization. But they give to the poor. You've heard that. Yeah, but they're a cult. The Bible says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, and his 
his followers as ministers of righteousness. So Satan doesn't come out and frighten people because they wouldn't follow him. He deceives them into following them. Even the cults, when they knock on your door, they're very good at nomenclature now. Well, we believe in Jesus too. Oh, really? Well, we believe in God too. Oh, really? But their definitions of God and Jesus are completely different than what God says in his word. You have to be careful. Christian TV, Christian radio is increasingly becoming apostate. And the Bible speaks about this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, see, I always back everything up with Scripture. I'm not just going to say something from the pulpit and expect you to believe me or follow me. I'm very careful with God's Word. You know, I come up here with fear and, and trembling. And everything I say, I want to use Scripture to back up what I'm saying. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, many will do good works and many will do miracles, but they shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a little perplexing, isn't it? As we go deeper into this, I'll explain that. Many Christians are easily deceived. They have zero discernment because they're not rooted in the word. What does Proverbs say? Not to be lazy. And it would be a shame if we didn't also make the spiritual application. Not to be lazy physically, but not to be lazy in our spiritual lives. 1 John 4 says, test the spirits because many false teachers have come out into the world. You have to test the spirits with scripture. 1 Thessalonians says to test all things. One of my earliest mentors who was here a few years back speaking, uh, Pastor Luis of Kearney, no matter what the subject was, and he called me Joey. Very few people called me Joey. He'd say, Joey, what does the Bible say? And I'd say, but Joey, what does the Bible say? He taught me very well. You see, when I stand on the word of God, I do well. When I don't, I start to falter. And in verse 12, this false prophet will cause all to worship the Antichrist. We can add a few things in here. We know that uh, he had a deadly wound, and uh, it appeared that this, this coming dictator, the Antichrist, was going to die or died, and he came back, and all the world marveled after him. So most likely this deadly wound that was healed, this counterfeit resurrection, was one of the things that this false prophet used to say, see, here's the man. The whole world needs to follow him. Verse 13. He performs great signs so that he even makes the fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. In the demonic realm, there are supernatural powers. And let me explain this, because again, you may look at that and say, but... Satan has the power to do miracles? Let's follow this. Go back all the way to Exodus 7, where God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. One of the times Moses went before Pharaoh, he took his brother Aaron with him. And Aaron had a staff. And Aaron threw down the staff, and it became a serpent. Matt, you know, supernaturally, it became a piece of wood, and it turned into a serpent. So Pharaoh called in his magicians, and they had staffs. And they threw down their staffs, and they became multiple serpents. But Aaron's serpent swallowed up, killed the other ones. So it's good, right? It's a good story. Even though Satan was able to duplicate it, he can only go so far. He can never even come close to the power that God has. But he can counterfeit miracles. It says he'll send fire to the earth. We think of Elijah. But more specifically, we just covered Revelation chapter 11. Remember the two witnesses, God's two prophets came down and with fire they devoured those who opposed them. So here's another counterfeit from the dark side, so to speak. 
Signs and wonders are going to get the undecided or skeptical vote of this world leader, so to speak, and they will come to the side of the Antichrist. And these signs and wonders will have the ability to solidify everyone else, even their supporters. Jesus said this, a wicked and adulterous generation seek after a sign. And I would add, as a primary motivator. This is very important that we understand this. Are signs and wonders bad? No, they're not. Oh, signs and wonders. You know, there's a miracle. Somebody was here, cured from cancer. Stay away. No, they're not inherently bad. And I'll take you to another scripture. Uh, Paul says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. He doesn't say money is the root of all evil. Money's a vehicle. It's a medium of exchange. But where's your heart? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now here, signs and wonders aren't evil, but a wicked and adulterous generation seek primary motivators, seek after signs and wonders, always going from the next sign to the next wonder. That's the key. Those who go after signs and wonders as a primary motivator are and will easily fall prey to deception because we see that Satan can duplicate. I'm going to read a scripture in Thessalonians, one verse. 2 Thessalonians 2.9. The Apostle Paul speaks about the Antichrist. He says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. There you have it. They'll be there. And Jesus said in Mark 13, 22, that the signs and wonders will be so convincing, this is an amazing scripture, that if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. When you take that apart and really meditate on that, it means that the signs and wonders are going to be so deceptive that even believers may come close to falling into it, but the Lord is going to shield them. You know, they're going to be grounded and rooted, so they won't, but it's going to be close. So all the make-believers will certainly fall into this deception. What's the solution? One, be diligent with the Word of God. Be diligent. And I may sound like a broken record, I may repeat it every Sunday, but it's the Word of God. Anything that I do that has any worth or value is because the eyes of the Lord are seeking to and fro upon the face of the earth to find out those who are loyal, that he can show himself strong through them. God doesn't elevate me. He shows himself strong through me. And the moment that I show myself strong, then the Lord says, hey, I'll move on to the next person. Or it's going to be a failed ministry. Two, discerning the spirits. Discerning the spirits. I read to you 1 John 4 and also 1 Thessalonians. We need to discern the spirits. Don't just take something like that and be gullible and be duped in believing it. Because as the years go on, the deception is going to get worse. Some are deceived now. And the counterfeits today can't even be compared to what's going to happen in the future with these three lunatics at the helm of the earth. Another aspect of this deception is the preying on the feelings and the emotions on the sin of the receiver. The person who seeks as a primary motivator, and I have to keep repeating that, those signs and wonders as their end-all be-all. I discount the maturity of someone who's so emotionally and so caught up. Let me finish this, this the, because I'm going to alienate you if you don't let me finish the sentence. So caught up in worship, so caught up in feeling, so caught up in running up and down with flags and taking their shoes off and really feeling to be in the spirit in worship, but then when the word is preached, they're either sleeping. Now, understand this. If you're with me, maybe I have the ability to put people to sleep, so I understand that. 
It's that rockabye baby type of voice that I have. I don't know. Uh, but the other, the other thing is that they don't know the word. You know, if you're really that jazzed up in the spirit, then you need to know your word also. Okay, they have to go together. Many are looking for feelings. Now, understand this. Let me forget about humanistic side of psychology, but just in general, the study of the mind and how people think. There are those that come out of the culture of maybe drugs or alcohol or sexual sins or success-oriented, driven to the point where they leave their family behind. And what does that do? That elicits a feeling, a high, adrenaline junkies. And then they get saved, and then they come into the church. But they haven't lost that, that desire for those feelings. And they come into the church, and they're looking for that also. They're looking to be moved. They're looking to be wowed. And what it does, basically, is just a few neurotransmitters, some dopamine, some noradrenaline. And I tell you, it just gives you a feeling of, of euphoria in your body. Pretty amazing stuff. These feelings creep into the church. Now, I could tell you something. I, can, I could move you every week. I could come up here and do a show and get you all excited and say, yeah, and raise your hands, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if I'm just constantly preying on your emotions, then I'm manipulating you, you understand? Instead of feeding you. And my job is to feed you. I remember when I started out in Sunday night Bible study and years ago, and uh, you know, I was trying to see where I fit, what type of teacher I would be, and you made a lot of mistakes. And you know, we had a small group, and I remember one of the gentlemen afterwards, I, I talked to him and took him aside, and I said, hey, brother, what did you think of the study? He goes, it was the word. He goes, you gave me the word. He goes, I don't need to come here all the time and get a feeling. I got the word. I was fed, and I did my job. The word is the best inoculation from false doctrine. If you're not getting the word or a person's not getting the word, don't be surprised if they fall into a cult. 2 Thessalonians uh, Chapter 2, verse 3. I'm going to read a little bit more about this. This is the Apostle Paul again. He says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. This is this Antichrist, world leader we're talking about. But that word for falling away in the Greek is apostasia. In English, it's a transliteration. We get the word apostasy from. The falling away, the heresy. You have your solid doctrine. You have your foundation from the Lord. And there's going to be a great falling away. And that's going to set the stage for the lie and the delusion and for people to follow the Antichrist. So there's a, um, a, a theology out there that says, uh, I believe it's, it's connected to amillennialism, and it says that basically the church is going to be so perfected and Christians are going to get so good and over the years, after so many years of Christ being gone, we're going to become perfect. And we're going to change the world. And when we're perfect and the bride of Christ is perfect, the Lord Jesus is going to come down and that's going to usher in his return. Well, not according to the scripture. According to the scripture, it says there's an apostasy. There's going to be a great falling away and times are going to get worse. Not to pick on, I hope I'm not, I'm just going to use this illustratively, but universal Unitarianism. You know, basically, they have a sign out. I keep passing it uh, when I go to my doctor's office. And it says, it's got all these people, and they're all smiling, and they're all happy. And it says, we welcome different beliefs, yours. Well, we welcome different beliefs, too. <laughs> you know, it's coming. But if you've been here for a year, and you've been in the Word for a year, for a year, and you believe that Jesus died 
for your sins and he rose again on the third day and you believe that maybe he didn't exist and you believe that he was just a man, there's going to be some friction in this church. We welcome different beliefs with the idea and the hope and the Holy Spirit's working that you will be conformed to the image of Christ, that as you start reading God's word, you will understand the truth. But if you don't stand for anything and it just anything goes, then what do you stand for? Then we can't talk about the scripture from the pulpit. We can't talk about the blood. We can't talk about sin. We can't talk about hell because it might offend some of you with different beliefs. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, when I stand before my God, he's going to say, did you feed my sheep? And I'm going to say, yes, Lord, to the best of my ability. Those are false shepherds that are out there teaching anything goes. It's not about what I think. It's not about what I think about different social issues. It's about what God thinks. That's important. Verse 15. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. The image of the beast. I actually had a lot of fun with this. Uh, people look at that and they say, well, what does that mean? Is it really him? Is it a statue? Is it, is it a holograph? Is it, what is it? Well, probably... Daniel spoke about the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. Uh, Jesus spoke about the abom abomination that makes desolate. The apostle Paul spoke about, or speaks about this blasphemous, abominable thing that uh, is set up, this image that's set up, probably set up in the coming third temple in Jerusalem. It's the height of offense to God. You see, in the temple, there was a, a section, a room called the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could enter, I believe it was one time a year, and he had to have a blood sacrifice to come in there and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And God supposedly, well, God did dwell in that area. So no doubt the temple will be rebuilt and the height of offense and blasphemy to God will be to set up this pagan blasphemous image in that area and people will look at it. The Greek word for image is ikoni, where we get in the English icon, likeness or replica. If you remember Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, going all the way back, though, roughly 2,500 or so years, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon made this statue that was 60 cubits, roughly 90 feet high, and it was this gold statue, and it was similar, this pagan idol, icon. And when they played the music, everybody was supposed to bow down wherever they were and bow down and worship the image. And we know that Daniel's three friends didn't, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. But... It's, it's very common, this, this man-centered, iconic, instead of worshiping God, worship something else. Even in Veggie Tales, they kind of did a take on that, and you had to worship the chocolate bunny. I love Veggie Tales. <laughs> but here in Revelation, there's this other idolatrous image that's to be worshiped. Now, what will this likeness be? Let's digress a little bit to modern technology in the last, say, 10 or so years. Look at robotics. I've talked about this before. Robotics used to be real jerky, you know, automated. Now they have robotics that are in the likeness of a person that actually start uh, having smooth pursuit. The limbs move like our limbs move. Okay, they're not so jerky. And uh, there's fluid motion with these robots. Now let's combine robotics with uh, computers and how much computers have advanced. Incredible breakthroughs in the AI or the artificial intelligence field. There's people that live for this field. Their desire is to make these computers like these sci-fi movies where they can respond to you, they have emotions, they can think for themselves, they can reason. 
you know, remember the Terminator <laughs> years ago? I got this, um, I was at somebody's house and I asked them if I could have this. It's time for kids. And there's a section in here, it says, sure, robots are useful, but can they make faces or friends? Scientists at MIT are working on a new kind of robot. Nexi is the first. It can make faces to show surprise and other feelings. Nexi is also to pick things up. So here's a, maybe a playmate for children. Child talks, not, not imaginary friend anymore. You can talk to Nexi. You know, Nexi can respond with emotions. And they even have a hand here. Like, remember the Terminator? I just, that's a stupid movie, but it was so neat, the science fiction of it, how the, the hands moved and the joints and all. I can show this to you uh, later on if you want to see it. But the AI people are really trying to duplicate humanity and humanness. There was another movie called The Sixth Day. I didn't see the whole movie, but the premise was that cloning will advance so much, and you can see it now, that um, you can clone people and make what's called blanks, okay? A basic humanoid form, certain height, two arms, two legs, fingers, toes, you know, eyes, nose, senses, and they're, they're blanks. And what happens is, as you get older, and you start to break down and your body starts to give you trouble, you download your information from your mind into the blank. In essence, you live forever, you never die. You just keep putting, your, and that, that blank gets older and you put it into another one and you just never die. It's amazing how man just wants to live forever. I shall be like the Most High. I will ascend to the heavens. It's the same thing that Satan said. You know why? I don't want to live forever. You know, one life is enough. I want to go to be with my Lord and Savior. After this, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I've had it. Uh, <laughs> but this may be more plausible because, again, I'm really parsing this and going into the, the, the language, but it says that uh, he was granted to give breath, or in the Greek, pneuma, where we get pneumatics or air. Breath, or this is known as breath or spirit. What does this sound like? It sounds like creation, doesn't it? God took all the elements of the ground, took the dirt together. He made a man out of, out of the earth. And he, he breathed into him a life-giving spirit. Remember the counterfeits. See, I'm geared in my mind to look up counterfeits. And every time I find one, I share it with you. Because this is a book of counterfeits. Satan is a great counterfeiter. Hybrids, humans and computers, uh, they're talking about being able to give people their hearing back, their sight, ambulation. There'll be no limit to what hybrids, humans uh, combined with computer technology can do. Sci-fi movies 20 years ago are now coming true. Or maybe, I like to present both sides, maybe this has nothing to do with technology. Maybe it's just the counterfeit creation. Maybe some type of image, and that's even scarier. If you think about Pharaoh's rods, um, his, his uh, magician's rods turning into serpents, that's pretty fantastic for people living back then. Imagine what Satan can do now with giving this image, this likeness, and breathing life into it. Pretty blasphemous. I want to present all plausibilities. Verse 16, last few verses. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. Everybody's excited for this one. Even unbelievers know this passage. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Six, six. <laughs> right? So, you know, where am I? I have my notes here. Where my notes go? Uh, I, that's all I have. We're going we're gonna to go home now. 
I'm just kidding. The mark of the beast. Can't buy, you can't sell. Again, even non-believers are familiar with this. I kind of have to laugh. I would listen to Bible teachers 20 years ago. You know, Chuck Smith, I love him. In his day, you know, when the credit cards came out with the magnetic strip and the holographs, he was like, everybody's like, this could be the mark of the beast. We have stuff today that blows that away, man. You literally can have a mark. Um, this mark could be something else. The, the Greek word for mark is, and I just say it for clarification, mark, etching, stamp, or identifier. Check this out. This is a true story. In 2006 in New York, Emil Grafstra, you can Google this, had a subdermal RFID computer chip the size of a grain of rice impl implanted under his skin on his hand. And he was able to walk into his apartment and wave his hand, and the electronics would pick up the chip, the door would open, the lights would turn on. He'd go to sit at his desk, didn't have to remember a password, would wave his hand over the computer, the computer would turn on, say, good morning, Emil, how can I help you today? Right? Pretty wild stuff. This was great. Um, this chip can last 100 years. 100 years. You can, and again, I don't know that the chip is the mark of the beast, but again, it's plausible. And everybody can have it. From birth to death, you, you have your, your newborn twins. The doctor says, according to the law, I have to put in the subdermal implant. And that child, from birth till death, has an implant. And they can't, it could, be, it could have a homing device, GPS. It could have your personal information. It can be downloaded. It can be updated. It can store medical information, financial information, pedigree. You can completely eliminate a cash society, which is something that's very... Um, desirable to governments all around the world. We already have the technology. We don't have to wait another 10 years. It's here. You know, you, you, the pet finder thing, right? You put it in your dog's butt or whatever it is, and if your dog gets lost, they can find your dog, and police find the dog, run his butt up against the, the scanner, and <laughs> go to your house and say, here's your dog, you know? Well, wherever. <laughs> if that's the case, the only way to avoid this is to move into the forest, live off the land, live as a fugitive, or be martyred. Say, I'm not going to take the mark and lose your life for it. What, are you one of those Christians? Psh, get rid of them. Some say, I wouldn't take the mark. Well, if you're a believer right now, you won't have to. I believe firmly that the Lord's going to come. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians that I read that the restrainer is restraining this man of sin, this lawless one, okay, until the, until the time is right, until the restrainer is removed. Well, what has the power to restrain someone who has the power of Satan, only a power greater. Jesus said the strong man cannot be bound unless a force stronger than, than him comes over and overtakes him and binds him. The only one who could uh, bind the Antichrist or Satan is God himself. So most Bible commentators believe that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. The church is raptured, and then this sets the stage for everything happening. If you're new to the church today, I'm sorry for frightening you. We really are in a cult. <laughs> It's just where we are in Revelation. We were in um, the Gospel of Luke a few years ago. But stick with us. I think you'll enjoy it. So, you know, I, what about those who say, well, you know, I'll take my chances. I want to enjoy my life. They think that when you become a Christian, you don't enjoy your life anymore. It's not true. It's fear of the unknown. I'm not going to take the mark, but I'm not going to come and, you know, give my heart to the Lord. I'll wait till what you're saying and the rapture and stuff happens, and, and I'm going to wait that out. Well, here's the problem with that. Tribulation and hard times, if you're not strongly grounded in your faith, will produce compromise. What happened when Jesus was struck? Everybody was gone. 
Peter out, outright, the Bible said, cursed the third time. When they asked him, you with that, you're, you're Galilean, your speech betrays you. I do not know the man. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Judas went and hung himself. Everybody else took off. According to the scripture, the only one left was John. You know, John, behold your mother, woman, behold your son. Put them in the same house together, even at one of his last uh, commissions, being on the cross. And these were those who walked with Jesus for three years. So if you're in a time where it's, it's oppressive and everyone's against you and you, you don't have maybe a church family because you're one of the few Christians in your area, and they say, take the mark. No. Okay, you don't eat. Then you watch your kids start to starve. You think that compromise will lead to holding your nose and closing your eyes and taking the mark? And then where are you? You know, one, it's, a, it's a slippery slope. It's a snowball effect. It doesn't work. Those who, who somewhat have an idea of the scripture may feel a lot of pressure. Those who are, aren't grounded at all are probably going to take the mark. So we can do this the easy way or the hard way. It's true. 13 years ago, 14 years ago, the Lord got a hold of me, and we did it the easy way because I did it the hard way so many times, and the hard way doesn't work. And you know what? I'm sorry I didn't do it sooner. I'm sorry I didn't come to him sooner. Verse 18, the number 666. This is another aspect of this book that unbelievers are fascinated by. Long time ago, a long time ago, before I was a believer, I watched the movie The Omen. Remember The Omen, Damien? What's the most famous part of that movie? When the, right, when the kid's sleeping and he's moving his hair around and he finds 666 tattooed on his, on his scalp, right? Remember that movie? Uh, so even unbelievers are fascinated with the number of the beast and the Antichrist and all that kind of stuff. But let me just take this from a... Um, a teaching uh, standpoint. In the Greek, each letter in the Greek alphabet has a numeric value to it. The letters are, they're really not numbers. You, you don't see the numbers. They're three letters. They're ki, which is a value of 600, xi, which is a value of 60, and sigma, which is a value of 6. So if you try to say the word, those three letters, it would be it doesn't make sense. There's no word like that. So you have to take that and figure out the numerical value. So the number is really 666. Now, there's a lot of speculation on this. Um, some say there's going to be the barcodes are going to have uh, 666 preceding it. I actually Googled 666 and, and, you, and even in our society, in our world, there's so many things that have this grouping. This is the mark of the beast. That's the mark of the beast. Historic figures, you can take um, the name of Neron Kaiser, Nero Caesar, and uh, take all the letters and, in the Greek and, and figure them out, and you get 666. Some have said, <laughs> poor Henry Kissinger, you know, they said if you take his name, you get 666. Uh, bad popes, every time a new president comes to power, you know, I've heard, oh, could it be Obama, please? You know, that's just, forget about it, man. I mean, that's just, which world leader? I've even had, heard Calvary people talk about the United Nations in this world. You know what? If he's not that person, what a poor example it is that Christians are telling him that he's the Antichrist. I mean, it's just, let's get away from that. You see, this is going to be anticlimactic. I know I got you up here, and you're, you're wondering what I'm going to say about 666. But maybe the verse really decodes itself. It really says it right there. It's so deep and mysterious, but yet so simple. I believe it explains itself. 666. The satanic tr trinity. God's number is seven. Seven, seven, seven. Number of perfection. Satan always falls short of God's perfect seven. Six for the dragon. Six for the beast, the antichrist. And six for the false prophet. It's the number of man. It's the number of man's folly. 
It's the number of the terrestrial versus the celestial. It's the number of the ephemeral or the short-lived. It's the number of the, the earth dwellers. It's the number of sin. It's the number of man's perfection. There's your big mystery. And the question is, wh where do you want to fit in? See, Jesus, when he did the parables and he did the illustrations, uh, he used simple examples, plowing in the field or you know, buying a field or getting married or grinding at the mill, and he gave the most simple illustrations for people to understand. So it doesn't matter where your education level was. It was right down here you could understand the scriptures. We get so big into the Bible and the deep things, and that's good, but we also have to remember salvation is a very simple message. If you're not a believer and you reject Christ, this is what's waiting for you. 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12. It says, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, some say, well, no one can get saved in the tribulation. I think we've been through enough of these chapters to know that that's not true. However, if you know that... Jesus is real, and you know it's the truth, but you deny it because you have pleasure in unrighteousness, and you choose to live that life, you may be setting yourself open or opening yourself up for the lie after the rapture comes. You say, well, I'm going to come to the Lord, but that lie is going to come in and deceive you. That's going to be your demise. So you can trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and escape this, and the lesson to believers is, there's a lesson to believers here too. We can get caught up in the world system, in the 666 system, and we can live a mediocre Christian experience. Or we can desire to walk with our Lord and Savior every day and desire that and be obedient to the calling he has given us. Let's pray. Father.